Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cine Scoop. So I know I was gonna um, do an episode about the Oscars and all of that kind of stuff, but um, that didn't happen. Things occurred, I didn't manage to get to do it. So in the meantime, my pal Matt, say hi Matt. Hi. <laughs> He's popped over and we're gonna do an episode all about Hammer Horror. Because um, we're both, I'd say we're quite big fans of Hammer Horror. Oh yeah. Here. Yeah. So, um, we're going to be talking about the films and the TV series today, because um, both iconic. And, yeah, so, I think one of the main things, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about Hammer Horror anymore, which is quite sad. No. Eve, which is odd, considering it, like, basically revolutionised yeah, like, English classic. horror. Yeah, people yeah. don't see it as a classic. Yeah, and it's really sad, and I think if people would see those films now, they'd probably just laugh at, like, how ridiculous they could yeah, seem. Yeah, like, obviously, for the time period, it was, you know, there was no CGI, there was none of this, none of that, yeah. so they see the acting as quite immature in a way yeah because you know but they didn't have anything then so yeah but it was iconic for the time yeah it was and not only that it's like more it revolutionized english horror but also horror itself because like the only thing close to the stuff that hammer was doing at the time was like like french and european horrors which were like eyes without a face (laughs) that kind of thing where they were like literally cutting someone's face open doing a little face (laughs) transplant and that that was like daring but in England we'd never done anything like that before so when Hammer came along it was like girl it was dry like we needed a reboot so like with Hammer it was like crazy it like gave the genre a like it It is a genre you say Hammer to other fans and they're like yeah it's a, it's a genre in horror of itself and like I think one of the main things is like it was one of the first English horror f- film franchises in colour which was interesting um, because everything's a little bit more vivid and terrible when it's in colour Yeah. because it's like if you think of like the first Dracula film that Hammer made they had like the blood splatter yeah, on the was, coffin at the beginning that's literally what came to mind straight away with the yeah. blood and you know like all the different, you know, colours when the blood's running down the neck. Yeah. If that was in black and white, it wouldn't be as good. It'd yeah. be more, come up more as a black colour and yeah. you wouldn't be as scared. Yeah, exactly. I think it was that hyper-realism thing that Hammer, like, brought mm. to the forefront. And I think, um, yeah, it was just interesting as well because it was really daring at the time, especially for, like, the sex aspect of it as yes. well. Um, oh my god. Because if you jump to, again, if you go to Dracula and it was that, like, sexual element of the vampire for the first time, really, um, because, you know, um, I love Nosferatu, but girl, he wasn't sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Uh, that weave, non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> he had his little rat teeth and oh. I wasn't feeling it, girl. Um, but... Yeah, with Christopher Lee as Dracula and like the whole biting of the neck thing, and you could see the blood and like the women that were involved, it became more of like a sexual thing. And like for audiences at the time, that was especially in Britain, that was like fairly new. So I think a lot of people would watch Hammer Horror films now and go, like, Where is the horror? Yeah, but at the time, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy, yeah. Because so, it also mixes with not just, you know, the terror itself, but like the supernatural 
Yeah. So like Dracula is this being that you know doesn't actually exist, yeah. and he's spreading this to other humans. Yeah. Which is you know scary in itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think especially because they were working off like really classical material, mm. so they had like Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and all of that kind. Of, I think they even did like a Sherlock Holmes story as really? well. Yeah. So it, they were working off like pretty sacred mm. material but they were still doing it in a faithful way but also in like a quite an innovative way yeah. because um i think it was something like so you know the original frankenstein mm. movie from the 30s that whole look with the bolts through the neck mm. and the like sort of square shaped head was like all copyrighted I think by Universal Studios. Oh, wow, I was going to say because that's what you think of now. Exactly, but when Hammer were planning to do a like a reboot of it um, with Christopher Lee as the monster, they couldn't have the monster look too close to the nineteen thirty one or whatever version, so they had to completely change the look. And I still think that the look they went for with the black hair and the like scarred face um, was still really effective especially because you know it's christopher lynn yeah. he's fairly imposing oof. so <laughs> oof <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i think it still works so they had they had a struggle they had a lot of stuff to live up to but they still managed it so i think that hammer deserves a bit more of a i don't know round of applause yeah 100 percent. big up hammer i love it so much and um yeah, so I guess like for the rest of the podcast, we're just going to be chatting about the first couple of installments of the Hammer films, and then Matt um, was mildly traumatised by the TV series when he was younger, so you're going to be talking about that, and I'll be chiming in. So yeah, listen on if you want to um, hear more about the the delights and the horrifying delights of the Hammer horror sensation. So I guess the first film we should really talk about is The Curse of Frankenstein since it, since it was like the first Hammer film of that genre. And um, I think this might be my favourite Hammer film. They always say first the best. I love Dracula. I know you love Dracula. I guess it's kind of... Traitor. I know, I know, and I should I should prefer Dracula because I'm, like, the vampire queen, but... We stand. <laughs> we stand, we love. But I honestly think, as a film, I just prefer The Curse of Frankenstein. And um, I tell you for why. Basically, because I think I prefer Peter Cushing in the role of the villain rather than the good guy mm. and I know for most of like the Hammer films that continued on he usually played the good guy so he played Van Helsing and in Dracula and all that. he was usually like the antithesis of Christopher Lee's villain but in The Curse of Frankenstein what they kind of did was they twisted Mary Shelley's source material where you know Dr. Frankenstein was, he kind of like made this monster by accident and then he kind of like regretted the fact that it went on this rampage and he was like remorseful for it. Whereas like 
in The Curse of Frankenstein, Frankenstein was a bit of a bastard, mm. basically, because he he's not kind of he doesn't really take any responsibility for his actions. He's just like, oh, this thing happened, and he doesn't learn from his mistakes. And I think I just like that tinge of evil about yeah. Peter Cushing's character. And like, Peter Cushing was such a sweet guy in real life, from like apparently all accounts, but he was able to play a villain really well. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone goes on about Christopher Lee as like this arch villain, but I. Do honestly think I prefer Peter Cushing as the villain? I don't. I don't know why. I think it was just he was just kind of nasty, but not in like the obvious way. Like there's a scene with the maid. I told you about this. <laughs> there's a scene. This is the best scene. <laughs> this is the scene with the maid, where like Frankenstein has obviously had like a bit of a fling with her. And this is like this weird little side plot going on at the same time as his, him like creating this like disgusting monster. Um, he's obviously slept with the maid, and then he's like, she's like, I'm pregnant. What do I do? And she's obviously enamoured with him. She's like completely in love with him. And then he's just like, oh, well, no one's gonna believe it's my child because you're a whore. <laughs> like not in so many words. <laughs> But I was watching that film and I like my mouth fell open because it was Peter Cushing saying yeah. it. But he was so good at it. Like I couldn't actually cope with how amazing yeah. he was at being the villain. And I think that I think I'm kind of used to Peter Peter Cushing being a villain as well because like I'm a Star Wars fan and I'm used to seeing him as Tarkin in Star Wars. So it's that whole thing. But I do like what they did with his character. I like that they made him more intentionally evil. And it's like in The Revenge of Frankenstein, which is like the second instalment of the Frankenstein hammer thing, they had him just creating another monster. Like, for no reason other than... Hollywood trying to get them Benjamins. (laughs) It was literally just... And also, they just were like, oh, he's trigger happy. He's just going to keep on, like, making these like grotesque Mm. creatures but not learning from his mistakes because in that film he's like I know what went wrong the first time so I know what I'm doing this time it's going to be great, it's going to be fantastic and um, obviously it's disastrous and you know I just love that it's annoying to watch but I also love that that character literally has no sense of remorse and he's basically just like a bit of a sociopath and it just gets gradually worse and worse throughout the sequence of films but my favorite thing about that second frankenstein film is that spoilers so at the end of the of the film frankenstein has basically been beaten to death yeah not fun considering he's been like in prison and was just about to like be executed at the start of the film ends the film being beaten to to near death right was this julia and sean's get out um so basically his little assistant is like i've learned everything from you now i'm i know what i'm doing you've taught me so much and peter cushing frankenstein is like put my brain in a new body so i can live i know and i was like great love it carrying on carrying on the series but at the very very end of the film there's a scene where it says Harley Street, London. 
and you're like, oh fuck, this is gonna be this is gonna be him in his new body. Like they've they've blagged their way onto Harley yeah. Street, and he's this amazing doctor. It's literally just Peter Cushing in a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> like I I just loved the ridiculousness of that so much because you know he clearly said put my brain in a new body, but they were like we still need Peter Cushing <laughs> because he's like the only star of this film. We're not paying for another actor. No. Just just whack a mustache like... on this man. <laughs> <laughs> and because he was like the main selling point of people going yeah. to see the film as well, especially after the success of the first one. So instead of being like, we're going to recast Frankenstein and make it realistic, mm-hmm. they were just like, put a mustache on <laughs> Peter Cushing. Makeup team, come on, get In that. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Which I just absolutely loved. I just... It's just so funny. Yeah. But in all seriousness, I think that Peter Cushing doesn't get enough credit as an actor. And I think it's interesting because when he was doing the films, he was saying, like, I play the role serious the entire time because I don't want it to be insulting for the audience. Like, he didn't want the audience to feel like they were taking the mick Mm. at any point or he... They would do had this whole blase attitude towards the filming of these films, like, and they can be campy and they can be fun. But like, Peter Cushing said, he always took the acting side of it really seriously because he cared about what he produced. Yeah, of course. And I was like, you can tell because when you watch those films, he's like putting mm. his all into it. And I think with the role of Frankenstein, he really that's apparent because he's really like sinister and horrible and mean but in like a really subtle way yeah and i think it's just really cool and interesting and i love peter cushing <laughs> he's such a lad r.i.p <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out to peter <laughs> you missed um but obviously the next film that they came out with they were like oh we've done frankenstein now we need to do dracula oh and a lot of people say that Christopher Lee is considered the best he Dracula. He is the best. I, I am quite a fan of Gary Oldman, um, but you cannot deny he, that Christopher Lee is, like, iconic. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, and we've talked about this. At m- length. Yeah. At many- numerous times at length. We've sat together, we've watched the films, we stand, we yeah. laugh, we cry, we, we love, love it. We love it so much. <laughs> And I think the the thing we always come back to with regards to Dracula is the image of yeah. Christopher Lee and the fact that him in that cape that goes straight oh. to the floor is such an image. When he appears at the top of the stairs yeah. for the first time, it's like... And he's in this immaculate suit. It's black. It's yeah. pressed. There's no crease. Yeah. Like you say about the cape, it's an inch away from the floor. Yeah. His boots are shiny. His just everything's perfect mm-hmm. it's it's just such an iconic look and it's like it's almost like he was born to play dracula because even when he moves because of the cape like he mm. looks like he's gliding yeah. rather than walking like it's like this malevolent character that just you know goes from one end of the room without actually taking a step yeah and i think that's it's really hard to achieve, especially at the time when there was like barely any special yeah. effects. That's, I don't know how he does it. That was just Christopher yeah. Lee. <laughs> as he a glided. <laughs> they were like, Chris, can you glide for this bit? And he's like, sure, he's sure, like, sure, sure, I could count, consider it done. <laughs> and I just, oh, I just think that 
he was amazing and I think also one of the interesting things about we talked about this in the intro earlier but the, the great thing about Dracula is that you didn't really get this as much with Frankenstein apart from the whole maid scene was a bit you know it was a bit hush hush but <laughs> with Dracula is they went full sort of raunchy oh, sexual yeah. so like when um, Christopher Lee as Dracula tries to he goes to bite his like female victims mm. it's almost like sexual yeah it's very so- yeah. Because there's the whole lingering part, like it doesn't happen quickly. He like yeah. he entices them in, they're looking into each other's eyes, he slowly makes his way to her mouth, and then at the last minute he turns yeah. and he goes for the neck. Yeah. But then what's weird is that when he's biting her, the camera will flip onto her and it'll be like as if she's enjoying it. Yeah. She's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that will bite my neck more. <laughs> and I think for the first time it was like that association because vampires are often associated with being really really sexual yeah and i think that was really apparent for the first mm. time on screen um and you know she she was in the bed and he was like bending yeah. over her and i think i read somewhere that that scene um in the first hammer dracula film got cut initially <gasps> Because it was considered too raunchy Oof. for the for the time, um, and obviously, like we look back at that yeah. now and we just like laugh, <laughs> but um, at the thought of that being too raunchy. But people were shocked it's to a, see that. Yeah, it was a lot more conservative time. It was indeed. More, you know. Yeah, and I think um, I, that's what I love about Hammer is that they actually dared to do mm. it. They broke barriers. Yeah, exactly. And um Yeah, I I love I love Christopher Lee as Dracula. He's such a like an imposing figure, but also Peter Cushing is great as Van Helsing. Oh, yeah. I think they balance each other out really well in the film. Um You can tell the chemistry as well between them. Yeah, that exactly. Is really evident within the films. Yeah, and you can't you can't buy that. I mean, it's always disappointing when you hear about people that starred together in films that actually hated each other yeah. or weren't as close friends as you thought not with Chris and Pete no. they were best buds they were in bros. real life they were, they were bros bros for life 100% and I think that really comes across they're just able to have this mm. really good working working and private relationship yeah definitely I feel like they just understood each other yeah. and it came across on screen and I think that final fight scene between them oh Incredible. Excellent. Yeah, doing their own stunts. Yeah. Throwing themselves at each other. <laughs> Literally. And they weren't young. They were both like 40. Yeah. And they were just flinging themselves over like huge wooden tables, ripping yeah. down curtains. curtains. <laughs> I'm going to burn you. And here's me at 23 with a bad back. <laughs> and these two are flying through the air like space hoppers. <laughs> Literally. It was just iconic. And I just love that they threw themselves into it yeah. that much. Um, that they were just like, yeah, we're just going to do this as if it's a play rather yeah. than a film. A film, like, you can take more than one take. Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> they were like, no. No. We're I'm going to fly across the table at this bitch. We're just going to get this in one scene and cut. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I feel like those two films, Frankenstein and Dracula, like, revolutionised horror. Mm. And obviously, they appear tame to us nowadays. But at the time they were really um they like rejuvenated what yeah. it meant to be especially in british horror 
they kind of rejuvenated it. And to add as well, it was the transition of the woman. So when, so the woman would come onto the screen and not that she wasn't bad looking, but she'd just be normal. Yeah. And then Dracula would bite her mm. and then she'd disappear. Like you wouldn't see her for a bit. And then she'd enter the room again as this beautiful mm-hmm. blonde light. Sometimes the hair color would change. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but then she would come in with this flowing dress or nighty and show yeah. cleavage mm-hmm. and perf- like her she'd have perfect face makeup and her hair was flowing and there'd be a wind machine yeah. and just that transition of beauty mm. that would you know dare to push the barrier because yeah. women you know to look like that on screen at the time like you say was very daring a hundred percent and i think yeah i just think it, it yeah, was just... interesting because there were you know there were there was a lot of um filmmakers pushing boundaries in like Europe as I said earlier and I think I'm just thankful that Hammer Horror started doing that in a genre that was so dry in Britain at the time um or all of the the really like good horrors were being made elsewhere either in the states or Italy or, or whatever and um yeah it was just that fact that they actually like dared they dared to do things and I think that's what's so great about and they made it such a great success of it it yeah. could have flopped but it didn't a hundred percent it could have just gone completely south and you know they kept going with it maybe at times they shouldn't yeah um because I think you were talking about yeah. when you were so little the original Hammer Horror series so the first series had 12 episodes in and they were all brilliant and then they rebooted it in the 1980s with a different series and it just didn't have the same feel. Yeah. It was a bit, you know, a bit cliche. Yeah. A bit, it was like they were trying to just build upon the stories again, whereas each episode in it, I mean, I'll come on to it later, but, yeah. you know, it had its own feel, its own story. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the next ones, they just, they didn't feel the same. Yeah, I, I think that happened with the films as well. It was like... They'd made such a success with the first two films, and you know that I don't mind this the couple of instalments after those films. Like they're watchable, they're fun, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And I feel like they the tried story. to keep going. And of course, like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are amazing, but like they couldn't save the films no. entirely because they the material was just getting tired. Yeah. Um, and they kept trying to do wacky things like the satanic rites yeah. of Dracula and these like <laughs> mad names. Yeah. Um, and like there were some scenes that are still good, like you said, when he's like dead at the start. Yeah, so Dracula. I remember one scene, I forget which film it is, but There's the so villagers. Many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the villagers are trying to break into the castle and his servant is like, oh no, don't. But obviously they get in and a bat flies in into the top of the castle into the top tower mm-hmm. and there's like the red velvet in the bed I think it's a coffin maybe or a bed Yeah. but the bat starts like spitting blood onto the bed and you're like oh my Iconic. god what's happening Love it. and then eventually like there's this slow montage of like ash to bone to flesh to Dracula and then he just gets up and he's like right what's happening in my castle <laughs> who dares who enter? are these people yeah. get the fuck oh, out I'm gonna fight every person in this place <laughs> get out I love I love that though I think they still had yeah. good moments mm-hmm, um, definitely. undeniably and you know still very iconic especially now but 
they did start to wane a little yeah, bit afterwards. There's only so much you can do with, I mean, Dracula's one story. Exactly. Bram Stoker didn't, you know, elaborate on any more. It was just, you know. 100%. I think as well, I kind of wish that they had done, so in 1968, they did a Hammer production of this film called The Devil Rides Out. Don't okay. know if you've watched that one. A lot of people haven't heard no, of it, I which haven't. is because I was going to mention it in my folk horror podcast, but I decided to save it for this one because it is a Hammer film. Mm-hmm. So you know, since we're talking about Hammer, <laughs> um, I would speak about it. So it's kind of Christopher Lee is the hero in oh. this one, and um, it's kind of about so him and his friend go to this guy's house and he's having a party. They decide to drop in, but they find out that their friend is into like black magic and stuff. Oh, I know, right? It's like dropping in at your house. I know. <laughs> Honestly, I mean that—that's not a surprise, though, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> and um, yeah, they kind of try to—they find out that he's involved in a cult that worship Baphomet, which is the satanic deity that people worship. The goat, the goat-headed oh, wow. dude. Um, and they find this like ritual going on in the forest and Christopher Lee's like what the hell's going on for once I'm not involved in this kind of stuff and um it was a good film like I watched it and it's that whole thing of paranoia and suspicion Mm. like who's involved who's not and eventually you know they they fight against the satanic powers and they save their friend from like the clutches of black magic and all that kind of thing um I kind of wish that they'd done more films like that to be yeah. honest, um, because they they didn't. That was just one story, mm-hmm. and they didn't carry it on in any way. So it didn't get tired. No, yeah, and with things like that as well, like we were saying that Bram Stoker only did one. Whereas yeah. with anything with black magic, you can be at anything. It's endless. Any, literally, any suspense, witches, you yeah. know, all these different figures, you can put them in different situations, different parties you know whatever mm-hmm. they they could have gone in so many different directions yeah. i do kind of wish that they'd done that and you know they they did things and it was it was very folk horrorish because they were in the, the forest and there were these rituals going on and then they you know they had to christopher lee and friends had to like do a, a, a and <laughs> christopher et al had to do like a a, a counter like counter ritual to like protect themselves and they were in this circle and it was it was really good I thought it was really well filmed Mm. and it was also quite innovative because at the time the only other film that went down that route came out the same year and that was Rosemary's Baby so oh that's a good one though I love Rosemary's Baby it's an amazing film Um, but that was the only other like satanic Mm. thing that was that was out at the time so I feel like rather than harping on to the commercial success of Dracula and Frankenstein, they could have done more in that genre, yeah. especially because it was coming becoming so popular with Rosemary's Baby and that kind of stuff. But it is what it is. And um, I still think that the legacy that Hammer created is legendary. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, we wouldn't be fucking going oh, on about it the we way we... We wouldn't be sat here right now recording this podcast without <laughs> no, it. No, exactly. So it's definitely had that impact. And... Um, even in the realm of TV, which we'll be talking about in a second. Um, So yeah, uh, keep on listening and uh, we'll be moving on to the medium of TV in a second. So I think like 
you watched the TV series Hammer House. Is it Hammer House of Horrors? It's yeah, Hammer House of Horrors. Yeah. Um, when you were younger, I didn't really watch the TV series. My mum would talk about it, and she would talk about how scary she found the music when she was a kid, and all of that kind of thing. But I never personally watched it. I'm more of like into the Hammer yeah. films. But you watched them as a kid, yeah, the TV so series. When I was younger, and I was like six at the time. I remember it maybe on Gold or some sort of TV channel that reruns old TV shows. My parents would sit me down and be like, oh, let's watch this together. Lovely. And, oh my god, I used to... There was only one episode that really traumatised me, to be fair. But the rest, they were just really strange. And, you know, at the time, I didn't understand what was really going on. But even then, at that young age, I could understand the suspense, Mm -hmm. the not not knowing what's happening. And at the end, it would all just be dramatically revealed. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. Before you can even understand what's happened, the credits are rolling. <laughs> yeah, so you were and left to yeah. process it for like an hour afterwards. Yeah, and you're just like, right, okay, that was weird and mm-hmm. strange and fun. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that, though, the fact that they did a different story every week as yeah. well. As you were saying. it was... Very different stories at that. And yeah. With different actors. I mean, there was recurring actors. I can't remember their names, but, they, you know, they would play different roles good the bad yeah so it was good that they had range but they all were very carefully executed stories mm-hmm. and i think that's what made the first i mean there was only one season yeah which is what made it so iconic mm-hmm. it wasn't like they reproduced it the whole time or yeah. the, you know reproduced it to the point where you know we're on season 55 and yeah, this yeah. is happening they carefully thought of each story and yeah. executed it quite well I think that's often the case with TV shows in general. I, f- I feel like if they have less series, the more I enjoy yeah, them. Because they haven't done them to death. Yeah. Like Faulty Towers, two series, brilliant. I'm Alan Partridge, but, two yeah, series. Brilliant. Yeah. So I think it was good because we did, obviously we went on about how the films tried to stretch things out, mm. but with the series, I think they really honed in on yeah. one story for each episode and, and really like got it to perfection mm-hmm. and it was good and there was so i'll talk about the one that really scared me so <laughs> i'll set the scene so we're in a car and there's the the husband the wife and the child and it's a happy day they're going somewhere in the car i forget but they're driving along they're all happy and then they have to st- they stop at a junction and the wife is in the back seat and she looks back and there's a man in a yellow raincoat and he's just kind of standing there, but the music starts. And this is when we're talking about the music. So there's yeah. like eerie music starts. So it's like a, a an ominous sound that happens that just literally lets you know that this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, right, okay. And then they drive off. Mm-hmm. And then somehow they start to enter Manchester because it starts <laughs> throwing it down with rain in the middle of nowhere. Never been to Manchester and it's not been raining. Yeah. So they must have been there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and they're driving along and it's really torrential and they turn this corner and the man in the yellow jacket, st- oh, the yellow raincoat, sorry, steps out and they, they have a near miss and they're panicking and they're like, oh my God, this man's, He can you know, fucking bilocate. Yeah. <laughs> He's teleporting. <laughs> And they're like, oh, do you need a lift? So they reverse. And the woman gets out. Oh, and the son gets out of the front seat and gets in the back seat. And the man just gets in without saying anything. Cute. The music is at the most desperate point at this point. (laughs) It's so high. The violins are breaking their strings. 
and he's like, oh, where are you from? And it just starts making general chit-chat with the man. Mm-hmm. And he points, like, but towards... So imagine if he's in the driving seat. He points his hand across his sight of vision. Yeah. And he whips out this fingernail. But it's not on your index finger. It's on his ring finger. Bye. And, <laughs> and it's, like, black. And it's really big and long and sharp. And you're like, what's happening? And but it it's to, just one... Finger. One fingernail, that's it, on his ring finger, on his right hand. And then he starts digging it into the man's face. But like, and then there's chaos, he let go of the wheel, the woman and child are screaming in the background, and it's really scary. And then he just starts cutting and cutting it, and it starts to go into his neck, and the car flips. And then that's when the theme tune starts. And I remember sitting there thinking, what on earth is oh happening? My I God. am shook. <laughs> and then the whole rest of the episode was just a blur because I just keep thinking about that every time. And it was like, I think it was centered around doppelgangers and like the husband died in the accident and Jenny, don't quote me on that name, but she goes to the hospital and she has to view him in the morgue, mm-hmm. to, you know, to identify him. And she sees him, I think for the first time she thinks, all right, okay, goes back, sees Martin again, I think his name Martin. Mm-hmm. And, but the man in the yellow raincoat, oh, sorry, the yellow, yeah, the yellow raincoat, he looks exactly the same as the husband did. Don't know how. Again, doppelgangers. And he is somewhere, so she goes back to the hospital and looks at his teeth, the husband, and they're perfect. And she's like, oh, Brill, you know, my husband's dead, fair enough, but like, it's not him. Yeah. She gets home, Martin, quotation marks around that, is there, and he's got horrible teeth, and it's the doppelganger, it's the man in the coat. And then there's this whole chase scene and struggle and then they're in the barn and the sun's there and it's just just horrible. And then she wakes up in the ambulance and Martin and the child's there and she's like, oh, thank God, maybe I just had, you know, this horrible dream or, you know, maybe I took some cat. Oh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And they both smile and they both have horrible teeth and she just starts screaming. But then she looks back and she's driving the ambulance with horrible teeth. And I think it ends with they're all just going to kill her oh. but then they're going to live in this world instead of them I so that. I think maybe in the barn they took over the boy mm. and then I don't know who rang this ambulance by <laughs> <laughs> telepathically she was like 911 what's your emergency <laughs> but but yeah it was really freaky and like but it was a really well drawn out story yeah it that's the thing mm-hmm. and then there's other ones involving cannibals and witchcraft and witches love and it. Yeah, it's all just, things we it's love. A, it's a brilliant series, I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, you showed me the intro of the Raincoat Man yeah. episode. I think it's called Two. Was it called Two Faces of Evil? Yeah. Um, just for anyone. I think that plays into the doppelganger yeah. notion as well. And um, I was like a little bit chilled by yeah. it. To be fair, even though God, it was made so many years ago, I was still. And it's the first time viewing it. And yeah. You're. you're in your 20s yeah, in 2019 really unnerved by the image of that guy in the raincoat just standing there and then just pointing um, it's just a really creepy image and and we were looking at the comments as well yeah. <laughs> and there were people literally in their 40s and 50s like can't watch this without feeling sick yeah. from like when they originally watched it as kids yeah it stuck with me my entire yeah. life and I was like wow I mean I think that just shows how good it was like, the yeah. fact that it had that impact and it was it just at the bones of it was very very scary it just tapped into like 
really irrational fears yeah. that we have. I mean, also, it's that whole thing of... With horror, I'm always found most disturbed by things that make me question what's happening yeah. and what's going on. So asking myself, why? Why is this happening? What What is it about that creature or whatever that guy was in the raincoat mm. why is he there why is he doing it what is he i think it's what scares me the most as well when they take really basic things that are in real life yeah like a man in a raincoat yeah i mean that's not scary no if you said that to anybody they'd be like oh yeah but, but they take that and they make it scary yeah so it's like real life things because when you talk about demons or things that are supernatural or anything like that that don't actually exist in this world mm-hmm. you can't relate yeah. Whereas a man in a raincoat, you're like, that could be anybody. Yeah. That could be my neighbour. That could be, you know, someone yeah, that I exactly. see out in public. And I mean, imagine if you saw that as well, driving through the rain and you saw somebody in a raincoat, you'd probably have a flashback of this scene. Yeah. Cash the car. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing. It's that ability to take something normal and twist yeah. it to make it really haunting. And I, I like that. Also, it's like, what was that guy? Was he an alien? Yeah. Was he just like a demon? Was he like a body snatcher yeah. type was thing? He, was... was he from hell? I yeah. Mean, the, doppelga- the doppelganger theme was maybe he was his soul, but from like the evil side and mm-hmm. come back up to the realm of, you know, the living. And he's just committed the good one. And yeah. it's going to be the bad one. And the whole family. Yeah. It's that thing of like taking people over to do evil. Yeah. Um, it's just that, that whole thing of like, you you are left going over it in your mind yeah, afterwards. Yeah, literally. So it's not just like you watch a gory film yeah. and you're like, oh, you know. Yeah, that, you because know, it's like, all there on paper. Yeah, it's all there. You've seen it, you know. His intestines were ripped out, but they won in the end. The end. Yeah. You don't really think about it again. But no. with these, you keep, keep thinking about it again and again because, as you say, it plays into real life. It's, mm-hmm. This is, you know reality yeah i think that's the genius of it as well i think i think it was that ability for hammer productions to recognize okay we've done the classics to death now we're gonna keep focus on an original series yeah and and we're gonna take things that are new Mm. and interesting and make them scary and it was just that um adaptability of the Mm. hammer horror productions team that they were like no we're still gonna produce things that are scary that are interesting um we're just gonna take things in a different direction um so yeah love it i i feel like i will actually go and watch more of the series now oh you're gonna really enjoy it yeah i i just from that single intro yeah. I was like intrigued I was like what is this what is going on so yeah I feel like there's another one as well let me just give you a quick synopsis yeah literally this woman is a journalist yeah she works for this like she's working in like the health section or the women's section I forget yeah she has to review this health club mm-hmm. or this like you can lose weight at this clinic come and on Weight Watchers yeah oh <laughs> the OG Weight Watchers I wait for the punchline so she goes there she goes undercover but it's like oh you know she meets this man and he's really nice then the man oh the man dies I forget how oh okay. so he takes a pill that's from the health club okay. crashes his car suddenly becomes very ill crashes the car dies okay. spoilers by the way <laughs> should have said that at the beginning but dies and then she's contacted by somebody who's at the morgue which body he's at and he's like something's not right they break him the body's not there 
they're like, ooh. And so then they follow the people who own the morgue to the owner of the health club's house. Oh. Like, the, the OG. Who, who saw Weight Watchers? The OG of Weight Watchers. <laughs> and they see Ben's headless body being wheeled in. Is that the, the guy? The guy who, you know, crashed the car. And they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. As you and would be. Obviously. And she goes towards, it's like a manor house. And she gets caught by one of them, but they recognise her from the club. Yeah. And they're like, oh, come on in, you know, have the time. And there's all these people here that are really weird. Okay. And they talk about this trip that they had from London to Marrakesh, I think it is, or something. And they were talking about, oh, the plane cr- crashed and we had to do things to survive. And you realise they're cannibals. No. And they are. And they've set up this whole health club to lure people in to eat them once a month. And they meet up once a month to eat people. And this is the 13th time that they've met. And I think it's called the 13th reunion, the episode. Ew. And she's like, girl, bye. And yeah. runs out the manor. <laughs> and then she gets to the morgue or somewhere. And Andrew. Girl, she loves the morgue. Oh, she loves it. And Andrew's dead, who worked there. <laughs> And then she turns around and Willis, I think his name's Willis or somebody, I remember it so vividly because I just thought, what is happening in this episode? Yeah. Um, she turns around and Willis is like, ha, gotcha, bitch, and just hits her in the head with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> so she's definitely on the dinner table tonight. <laughs> I need to watch this series. Hashtag, it sounds... Hashtag not vegan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but god it's brilliant so that whole story that's been elaborated it's just that they've so there's this context of that we're, that we're in a plane crash who were they eating in this plane crash I need to honestly I feel and like to survive and then yeah. they take it home and they're like oh I enjoyed that do you want to do it again oh yeah babe <laughs> let's carry on what should we do we should start a health club and we're going to start kidnapping people honestly I think I've heard conspiracy theories about this on reddit or yeah. some, like of this of this kind, like Shane ew. Dawson's done a documentary series about it. <laughs> it's in it's in the making as we speak. Um, that is horrific. Yeah. I also I just love that they went that dark with yeah. it as well. I um, cannibalism in the sixties. Yeah. Good God. That's the thing. Like they weren't afraid to push no. the boundaries for I the time. I think that's the main caption or what the takeaway from this podcast is. I think yeah. this is why Hamo is so brilliant. As yeah. in they didn't they pushed the boat out so much of what was considered normal or safe yeah you know everybody's done everything to death and they were like no we're gonna push it even further i mean what we're pushing it to these days is far but they were the ogs in let's push it yeah certainly british television definitely and the film and they've you know we go on nowadays and they've Things have been pushed so far that it's just ridiculous yeah, and grotesque. Yeah, I think we're getting to a point where things that are so vile are being taken one step further because yeah. things like that don't shock us anymore, like gore, yeah. like, you know, attacks, beheadings, yeah. guts coming out everywhere. We're just like, yeah. we've seen that a hundred times now. Exactly. And it's just like, for Hammer, I mean, I guess that was like, people's equivalent of like yeah. saw in the 50s yeah. and it sounds so stupid to say but it, it was really shocking at the time but it was also the acting was good it was cla- oh, it still had that level of class even oh, though it had all those like sexual and gory elements mm. 
um, brackets gory because yeah. at the time it was yeah. and um, <laughs> you know it's not exactly hostile hostile part two no. but you know the blood splatters like the fact that they showed the blood because even in um, so in the 30s if you watch the original 1931 Dracula they don't Dracula doesn't have large fangs he doesn't have no. like large teeth and you never see blood especially no. when they bite the yeah. neck it's when they come away and there's like a little trickle from yeah whereas like when christopher lee pulls back from biting the main heroine he's literally like like blood blood in the eyes blood yeah. coming out of every orifice and he's like crazed and, yeah and you know, he's become you know yeah he's Ravenous. He's getting high off this blood. A hundred percent. He's like, oh, finally a hit. And her neck looks like, you know, an abattoir. Yeah. <laughs> and she's still smiling like, oh, she's like, do it again. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was just, it. they're fun to look back on and yeah. you can see there was that change. Um, there was that shift toward, more towards the horror that we know now. And I think that's why they're so legendary and why we can't stop talking about yeah. them. And Probably. I hope that they carry on for another fifty to a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, I was really excited when they they did the uh, the Woman in Black because that was a yeah. Hammer Horror Films production. Yeah, um, but it, it was never good to see it transpire out. You know, come into the twenty first century. Yeah, and that was I enjoyed the Woman in Black. I thought it was a good film. Yeah. Um, I just I just wish they'd have carried on maybe a bit more. Maybe yeah. there's something in the pipeline that we don't know. I hope so. We shall see. We shall see. But thank you so much for being on my podcast, Mike. It's fine. I've really enjoyed myself. I oh, love good. talking about horror. I love talking about Hammer Horror, Dracula. Well, this and is I like the being place. with you too. Oh, stop it. <laughs> stop it. I can't. No, this vampire can't handle emotions. Like, I just can't. But um, you're literally the only person I can talk to about Hammer Horror. Same. Other I than my mum. So try to talk to people like this and they just don't understand. Like Christopher Lee, him? He, he Peter was, Cushion Hill? Yeah. Was he the one in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Lovely. Girl, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, yes, but he was also yeah. the best Dracula of Let's go time. back. Yeah. Let's, let's go back in time. So, yeah. Um, I will eventually make my Oscars mistakes. Girl, podcast. where is it? I'm really trying. I'm really trying. I've been so busy, but. Um, I mean, you know, I I just need to get my thoughts together because I have a lot to say on the fact that the Oscars are terrible. I'm excited to hear about it. Well, you know, award season's coming up, or so let me vent. <laughs> hashtag February. Here we <laughs> here we come. Um, yeah, and I'll probably speaking of the Oscars in February, I think it's going to be like one of the tightest races in oh, history. I know. So I'm very Do excited. Do hosting? I mean, it's December, and we still don't... I don't... I think some are in contention, but I haven't heard any announcements about who's hosting. I've heard that people want the Muppets to do it. And Stop. I've How ne- are they going to do that? But that's fabulous. Oh, Miss it... Piggy, Kermit. Honestly, imagine Miss Piggy just, like, yeeting an Oscar at Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> that would be iconic. I need it. And also, it would take away the whole political overtones True. and complaints about the Oscars. not annoyed me, but... In the last few years of, you know, the, the monologue that they do at the beginning, yeah. it's been sent around Trump and Democrats and Republican. And I don't think that's what awards are about. I mean, fair enough, have a political stance, but not. I mean, you look back in time, even to when, you know, Tina Fey and, yeah. you know, Amy Poehler did. I mean, I know it's different, but the Golden Globes. Yeah. 
and their hosting was fabulous. Yeah. They make jokes about the actors and the films, yeah. which it should be about, not exactly. current affairs. I mean, maybe one or two quips, but not 100%, but that would be good. It would be refreshing it to It would see. be refreshing. I think it would just bring back an element of fun about the Oscars yeah. that has been lost in recent years. Because, like, you know, the legends like Billy Crystal and Bob Hope, yeah. they did such a great job of it, and now it's they just really so did. fickle. Yeah, and like, I, I think it's just... The fact that the Oscars has become more about who's hosting, what did they say yeah, about what did they wear, yeah, about the politics and yeah. you know of the night rather than so and so won, yeah, best Oscar. Should they should they have won the Oscar for that yeah. category? Um, and I feel like although politics is always important mm. on that particular night, it's not. It's not, and that's why the Muppets have got my vote. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully that will be coming in future episodes. Um, but thanks for listening to this one, guys, and uh, hope to see you. See you. I can't see you. I can hear you. No, I can't hear you. Um, just just listen. Just listen if you want. Listen if you don't. Um, but, yeah, thanks. Say bye, Matt. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. See you in the next one. Oh, I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs>